You're listening to the 1A Podcast. I'm David Gura, in for Jen White. And this is In Case You Missed It, where we bring you some of the week's biggest conversations. This week, The Atlantic Magazine published an exclusive interview with Harlan Crow, the ultra-wealthy real estate developer whose friendship and financial relationship with Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas is the subject of much scrutiny. The interview was done by Atlantic staff writer Graham Wood at Crow's home in Dallas, Texas. One A's Jen White spoke to Graham about the article, and we'll let Jen take it from here. Thanks for joining us. Good to be with you. So just a quick reminder for people who may not be familiar with Harlan Crow's background. Tell us a little bit about him. Harlan Crow is an extremely wealthy real estate developer in Dallas, Texas. His father was also an extremely wealthy real estate developer. And he's been in the news because one of his closest friends is Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. And it turns out that Thomas has been the recipient of a number of gifts from Crow, and a lot of people think that maybe Crow uh, has undue influence over the Supreme Court justice. And then on the side, it turns out that he has Crow has a large historical collection that includes some Nazi memorabilia, which is always something that will raise eyebrows. When you went to his home, you start off the article in his quote "Garden of Evil." Crow is a prolific art collector. Describe what walking through that garden was like, and, and what it told you about him. Well, he has uh, statues that have been harvested from around the world, places where autocracies, tyrannies have fallen. Uh, The tyrants tend to have statues of themselves, and those statues tend to be toppled over and then sold at cut rates. And Harlan Crow is one of the people who buys them. So if you walk through his yard, you will find a Stalin, a Mao, a Ho Chi Minh, a Hosni Mubarak, and you get the sense that you're in a kind of petrified forest of 20th century world history. What did it tell you about him? Because I can only imagine walking through that scene. It, it must have been a bit jarring. Yeah. I mean, the first thing you realize is that you're not in the company of a normal person or, or even a normal ultra-rich person. This is someone who has a very strong sense of history and is affected by it. And I asked him, why would you collect these things? And he said, look, the story of my lifetime, he's about 73 years old, is the story of tyranny fighting against liberty. And so uh, this is not something where we storm the beaches of Normandy. It's a long philosophical struggle, and this is a monument to it. You asked Harlan Crow whether he has any other financial relationships with Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas or anyone related to Thomas. What did he say? Uh, he, he said that he doesn't keep track of his po- of his hospitality, which is extended to many who are not Clarence Thomas as well. So he, he didn't rule out the possibility that, that other dealings will, will be discovered. But w- what already exists is already pretty extensive. I mean, we're talking about luxury vacations on yachts in Indonesia, in New Zealand, in Russia, uh, flights on a private jet, and tuition for Clarence Thomas's grandnephew. So w- what we have already is, is quite a bit of entanglement. And he, he didn't totally rule out the possibility that there might be more that he'd forgotten about. And there's also the question of the purchase of Clarence Thomas's mother's home. Remind us about the details at that, of that. That's right. Clarence Thomas's mother is now about 94 years old. She uh, lives in Georgia, and her house a few years ago was bought by Harlan Crow for what appears to be roughly fair market value. And Crow also did a makeover on the block, which had some pretty rundown properties, criminal activity. And so I asked Crow about that, and he said, look, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with buying a house. I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to improve neighborhood. And I felt like I was doing a good thing for, for the neighborhood and, 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 and for my friend. And he, he said that he intended to make that house into a, a museum for Clarence Thomas. In this interview with Crow, 
he said to you that he and Clarence Thomas, quote, talk about the kind of things friends talk about, end quote. And he was describing things like weather and sports. And in an email to you later, he said, quote, it's not like we haven't talked about work-related issues. What did you take away from this conversation with Crow about the nature of his relationship with Clarence Thomas? So Crow told me that the conversations they had were the type of conversations that two guys who are in their early 70s uh, who have shared the, the same same history in some ways and who are in some ways totally different, of course, different races, different levels of, of, of uh, wealth and poverty growing up. He said, we talk about the weather, we talk about sports now and then, although neither of us is a big sports fan. We talk about occasionally about our work, but he said we, we draw a red line around matters related to jurisprudence. We'll talk about Justice Thomas's favorite new clerk. We'll talk about the time that he bumped into Stephen Breyer at Target once, but we will not talk about any pending cases. So Crow really took pains to say that, and to, to demonstrate, I must say, that their friendship is real. They, they really do enjoy each other's company and seek each other's company out, quite apart from the luxuries that Crow can provide. What he wasn't able to really tell me, though, was why any of the rest of us sh- should just take a Supreme Court justice and a very rich man at their word that they're not talking about something that's closely related to the to the governance of, of this country. What was really striking to me about your piece is, I suppose, his credulousness. There's a, there's a certain, how would I describe it, a disconnect, perhaps, <laughs> around why the financial relationship is significant. Were you able to come away from your interaction with him with any clarity around what was at the heart of that disconnect? Yes. You know, Harlan Crow. I, I spoke to him for about six hours, and he, he, what came across from him personally, what, what he values most, is this sense of integrity, which ironically, is exactly what's being impugned in describing his, his relationship with Thomas as a corrupt relationship. But he really does think of himself as someone whose morals come front and center. And exactly as you say, that, that there is a real naivete there because he, I believe he assumes that other people have the same view of himself that he has, that his, he thinks so much about his, uh, the standards that he conducts his life by that he assumes that other people will take him at his word when he says the same. And in fact, the world is filled with people who are uh, just as corrupt as people think that Harlan Crow is. And I think Harlan Crow kind of knows that. He, he's, he's not a big fan of, for example, uh, former President Donald Trump. And I think that's really why, is because his worldview is a worldview of people who are excluded from public life if they have any lack of morals or character. And since he perceives himself to have lots of morals, and a very strong character, it's very difficult for him to understand why anyone would think that his relationship with Justice Thomas is anything other than on the up and up. What did he say about the relationship with Justice Thomas going forward, especially the financial aspect of that relationship? So I think we have to separate the obligations that Crow has with the obligations that Thomas has. And mm-hmm. Thomas, among the justices, has been uniquely resistant to any kind of uh, enforcement of dis- disclosure rules. So that seems to be continuing to be Justice Thomas's view. And he says that he'll disclose more according to the new rules going forward. But for, from Crow's perspective, he cannot 
believe that, that one would ask him to give up a friendship, a friendship that means a great deal to him. Crow told you, quote, my hope is that this is the last conversation I have on this topic in public. Graham, what was your understanding of why he did the interview in the first place? Well, I had written a column about him because he had been described as a Nazi, which is simply not true. I mean, it, it, you can t- spend 10 minutes talking with him about what tyranny means to him and who his political idols are. And, and it, in that time, you'll be able to tell with 100% certainty he is not a Nazi. So I had given him this minimal defense of saying not a Nazi. And I think because of that, he he reached out to me and said, okay, I'll talk to you a bit more. I don't want to talk to really anyone about this. This is not a subject that I'm pleased to be in the news about. But uh, we'll have this one conversation and, and I'll call that a day and hope that it goes away. I'm not sure that it will. Yeah, because to my mind, your conversation with him actually raises more questions than answers. And and so what do you think happens moving forward, especially for Clarence Thomas? Well, Clarence Thomas is protected by being on the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, for all sorts of reasons, good and bad, have has decided not to police itself with the rigor that many of us w- would like. I think for Crow, his life going forward is unfortunately for him going to be different. I mean, he wanted to be just another quiet, multi-multi-multi-millionaire in the center of Dallas, Texas. And now the first line of his obituary is going to read somewhat differently from, I think, he he wanted it to. So that's just what life is going to be going forward. And the belief that you can be that wealthy and have friends of that level of power and not have complications like this is, again, an element of his naivete. I don't think it's going to change the fact that, that he has always been generous to his friends, generous to his closest friends of all. And his admiration for Clarence Thomas is, is absolutely undiminished. He, he loves that guy. And I think going forward, he's, he's going to continue to love him and continue to treat him as a close friend. And ultimately, Graham, I, I think the bigger question is what this means for the American public and what we see as waning trust in a key institution in this country. Yeah, I, I think that is the, the big question. And we have institutions like the Supreme Court that are fundamentally self-policing. You know, there was a time when we had many elements of our politics where the public didn't have to pry too much into them. And of course, corruption was going on. Um, but there was some belief that they will take care of themselves. And the Supreme Court is still one of those ultra, ultra elite prestigious institutions where there's an assumption that these nine individuals will police themselves. But the truth is there's always going to be human relationships that that they take part in. And some of those human relationships will look from the outside like they're corrupt. Some of them will be from the inside corrupt. And that's a level of trust that I think a lot of people just don't have and don't want to extend to the institutions of our government today. That's Atlantic staff writer Graham Wood. His interview with Harlan Crow called The Collector is out now. I'm David Gura, in for Jen White. Thanks for listening. We'll talk more soon. This is 1A.